This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Recovery Radio. I'm your host, Steve Martirano. I hope you're joining us for each program as we speak with experts in the field of behavioral health. We're looking to foster diverse and meaningful conversations on things like substance abuse and mental health. So sit back. We've got a good one for you now, which actually is a a broader topic than what we would ordinarily talk about on the program, but it certainly does bear on the issues that, as I said, we talk about frequently here, and that is women's behavioral health in general. Uh, This weekend, in fact, tomorrow, Sunday, is uh, designated as International Women's Day. So naturally, we're going to take a look at the broad range of issues that women have been confronting for many, many years now in an effort to, just as I say, in, enhance their their quality of life. There's no other way to put that. To that end, we've reached out to an organization called Women's Resource Center. The WRC began way back, way back in 1975. A handful of women got together in suburban Philadelphia, in fact, in Wayne, Pennsylvania, and decided to uh, call a meeting. It came uh, out of that meeting came, as you might imagine, a uh, clear, clear notion that an organization was necessary to be dedicated to the special needs of women. So, lo, those many years later, the uh, Women's Resource Center in Wayne, Pennsylvania, is uh, an ongoing uh, and very, very valuable resource for women in, as I say, the uh, the suburban Philadelphia and Philadelphia area. Who better to talk about all of these issues and the work done at the WRC than their executive director, Cheryl Brubaker. She is our guest on this edition of Recovery Radio, and we welcome her to the program. Cheryl, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for the opportunity. I, I appreciate this, this chance to uh, talk about what's going on for, for women. I mentioned to Cheryl in anticipation of talking to her today that since I used to live in her neck of the woods many, many years, um, we have had hanging in our office a beautiful poster from an art uh, artworks exhibit that was sponsored by uh, her organization, the uh, Women's Resource Center, uh, way back, I think, in 1987. And it wasn't until a couple of nights ago my wife said, you know, we have their poster. It's been in the office for years. And I said, oh, my God, no wonder I, I had them in my head. So it feels like I'm visiting. And I've been by the building, so I've driven by the building so many times. So thanks so much for joining us. Bring us up to speed first on your background, Cheryl, and then we can get into the weeds on what the WRC is all about. Sure. So um, I have been with WRC about three and a half years now. My background is actually in uh, social services. I have a bachelor's in social work. And along the way, um, I really developed an interest in, in helping social service organizations perform as well as they could be. So I went back and got my master's in nonprofit management. And along the way, that's, that's led me to WRC. Now tell us about uh, tell us about WRC when the, when those what was it five women got together to decide that maybe something was needed to be done. Where were we in 1975 with regard to some of the issues that need to be changed? So I think the context is really important to understanding um, the mission and work of WRC at that point in time. Um, that first meeting took place in 1975. And so if you look at what was happening at that time, just three years before, we had Title IX. So this was 
the first time where women were really legally um, allowed to attend any um, educational institution that a, that a man was allowed to attend. So this opened up a whole host of opportunities for women in terms of being able to support themselves and their families that weren't available to them prior to that. And then in 1974 was the Equal Credit Opportunity Act. And the Equal Credit Opportunity Act um, prohibited discrimination as it pertained to gender as well as um, race and other protected um, attributes when it came to applying for credit. So prior to 1974, and I've talked with many women who remember having to get their father or their husband to co-sign for a credit card application or um, an application for a loan for their car or mm-hmm. um, despite maybe having sufficient income and a great job and all of that. These were, these so were, women, to, these were women of all age, right? This, this isn't applied all just... All ages. Yes, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it really didn't matter. I mean, it was ultimately prior to that, any um, credit offering entity could require that a woman, strictly based on her gender, had to have a male cosigner to be able to um, access credit. You know, when you told me that the other day, it stopped me in my tracks. I, I, I thought I'd misheard you. Um, for those people who think that uh, things like women's equal rights and leveling the whole playing field for women uh, is moving too fast and just it's stunning to think that as recently as 1974 and i know for some people that sounds like a long time ago but it's not you know women couldn't apply for a credit card um with without you know my uh, dad or or the husband signing it it's it's astonishing 1974 yeah so continue so yes yeah, so what that did was um these opportunities opened up um, ways for women to actually say, okay, I can financially care for my family or contribute to my family in a way that they couldn't before. Um, but at the same time, they hadn't been raised that way. Women had been raised to think in terms of being a good mother and a good wife and a good homemaker. And so what did it mean to um, go to college? What did it mean to work and still balance the, the tasks that they felt like they needed to do at home? And so WRC really was formed around that need because um, women just relied on each other to say, okay, how do, I, how do I do this? How do I get from point A to point B? And so WRC became that place of, of information, of resources, connecting women with, with um, not only here are some ways that you can go about uh, researching opportunities, but also here are people who can help you in that process, um, making use of local educational institutions. And along the way, ultimately, it gave women an opportunity to to ensure their own financial well-being without relying on a husband or a father to do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and so yeah, that ahead. allowed women to leave um, unhealthy relationships, abusive relationships, 
you'll you'll see around the same time that WRC formed quite a few of the um, domestic violence agencies in the area. We have one in each county. The majority of them were also funded around the same time in the 1970s. Well, so, it, so it's perfectly obvious uh, that, there, that the obstacles that you just presented, that some of this legislation uh, went a long way towards eliminating, would have the, the effects you just, you just mentioned, basically economic effects. But it's not difficult to then you know, extrapolate to, well, if all of that was a hindrance, it certainly has an impact on every other aspect of a woman's life. Yes, and that's one of the things that WRC, I think, again, because we started from a place of what do the women who are coming to us need, that our services tend to be more holistic in that sense, so we don't just address the economic aspects. We also are looking at what does that mean for your your mental health, for your mental well-being, because ultimately... and, And this is a lot of what we're dealing with today is, okay, now it's illegal, to discriminate based on gender or race or other factors that the women coming to us might deal with. But we're still seeing perhaps the more subtle but more insidious forms of sexism and racism. Describe some of those for us. So these are the kinds of situations where the expectations or messages that a woman receives may conflict with... um, what she has been taught or what she feels is her her authentic purpose in life. And so we we tell our young girls now, we say, you can do anything you want to do, you can be anything you want to be, and then they get to the workplace and they go, oh, wow, that's really not true. Um, and it happens in very subtle forms. We started to come up with language for that, but it's things like mansplaining, and <laughs> we now have a word for racial profiling. Um, we have a word for gaslighting. When someone says, really, no, this environment that you think you're in, it's really just you. You're the problem. And so these are the, the situations that women dealt with back then as well. I mean, they struggled with the fact that their families felt like if they got divorced that they had failed as a wife and a mother. Um, what that does to someone's psyche, to your to your emotional well-being. And so all of that is intertwined as we work with the women at, at WRC. You know, uh, we're, we're, we're now growing more and more familiar with those the terms that you just applied. And, uh, you know, some people bristle at that stuff. Oh, you know. They now have a name for everything. And uh, the truth of the matter is, is that, yeah, that's all it is. It's a way to identify something that's been going on without a name, subtly or not so subtly, in, in, in the background. And so when we name these things, there's a, real, there's a real importance and power to that, right? There is, because what it does is allow you to say there are real things happening in this environment that are causing me to feel the way I feel. And I'm not crazy. Yeah, I'm not crazy. Um, but, and and yeah. that's really, it's interesting to, if I can use the example, one of the, the more recent examples that has been out has um, uh, been an article about um, Ernst and Young, if if you will, they they are struggling with they they had always put themselves out as as a culture that was friendly towards women, 
Ernst & Young is the, the things- they're the accounting firm. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you know um, what, Cheryl? Can I get you to hold the story so we don't get too far behind here? And we'll we'll pick, it, we'll pick it up in the uh, in the next segment. It's International Women's Day uh, Sunday. Uh, it's fact. It's International Women's Month, Women's History Month. So we're focusing on the issues that affect women. Our guest is Cheryl Brubaker. She is the executive director of the Women's Resource Center in Wayne, Pennsylvania. We have more with Cheryl straight ahead. This is Recovery Radio. Welcome back to Recovery Radio. I'm Steve Martorano, our guest on the telephone, executive director of Women's Resource Center, Cheryl Brubaker. She's been with the organization uh, for over three years now. The organization goes back 45 years. They, they, are, uh, they are dedicated to uh, improving the, uh, the lives and well-being of women. Uh, we wanted to coordinate a topic like that, as I said, in conjunction with International Women's Day. And so we're getting a real lesson here. Uh, Cheryl, uh, Pick up where you left off with regard to that big accounting firm and, and the problems that were confronted there. Certainly. So this is a firm that has held themselves out as a great place for women to work and has been very proud of that. But it just shows you a little bit of how um, insidious uh, sexism can be and also what effect that has on the women who are trying to function in those environments. So there was a woman who actually brought a suit against the company, which is um, partly what brought it to the public's attention. And she described the culture there as a frat house environment. And But, but it, beyond describing the environment, her observation in terms of the impact on herself, is said, she, it's been crushing to my spirit, and it's caused her tremendous anxiety. So if you think about what it's like for a woman to spend 40, 50, 60 hours a week in an environment that is crushing to her spirit, um, that is what we're asking women to do in today's work environments. And so that's that's something that women have to also really pay attention to. They really have to take care of their own mental health and know that when they walk in the door at their workplace, they may essentially need to put on their 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 mental armor, their mental shield, if you will, to be able to walk into that environment. But it's also our responsibility as a society to look at what we're doing in those situations. In this case, the company, of course, is saying, no, 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 that's really not the environment. Um, they ran into a little bit of a problem because they actually had a, uh, a training for female executives that included um, teaching the women how to, that they should manicure their nails and wear appropriate attire and they should be, you know, pretty but not too sexy. And they were told that affection and cheerfulness were, were feminine traits where, you know, ambition and assertiveness were masculine. And so really reinforcing some very sexist stereotypes about men and women. And so in their case, that also became one way of saying, you know, the company is saying, oh, well, that really wasn't um, true to our culture. And yet some of the female executives are saying, actually, it's exactly what we experienced. Were these were, um, were these guidelines actually written down in some kind of style booklet for for uh, employees of that company? Or, or were they was it just a culture that grew it, up? No, this was an actual training that was conducted. Okay. 
for the executive. So it was in the training curriculum. Well, let me, uh, I'll be the devil's advocate here now. Aren't men also under the same sort of organizational mandate to look and behave a certain way, like men? Um, I don't know of any training curriculum that have taught, focused on men needing to be, um, have masculine traits, not feminine traits, or um, that they need to dress to look um, look masculine, but not too masculine. Right, right, right. So it's it's a lot of the um, the nuances. It, and one al- of the I'm sorry. It's almost as though the workplace in this context is saying we're going to let you into this into this uh, a, a, a arena, or you know, um, but we have they seem incredibly cautious about letting women into it and uh, they have their guard up so they feel the need to you know as you say define in sexist terms how they should look act and behave is that is that it i think so and also recognizing that you sort of when it comes to um things like sexuality placing equal responsibility on men for professional behavior as women um, and I think one of the, the big questions we can always ask ourselves is, would we, would we ask the same thing of a man? Would we say the same thing to a man? One of the examples that's come out a lot is that when a, a woman gets promoted to a significant CEO position, the media will often raise the question of how she's going to manage her parenting duties. And that never comes up with a man. No. The other thing that occurs to me immediately is that I don't think any man that I know of, certainly not me, has ever been told, you know, you're just a little too attractive here for the workplace. Mm-hmm. That, mm-hmm. that never happens. Or that you might be showing too much skin. <laughs> it's right. Your, your, uh, your pants are too tight. I mean, you just don't. And it's so subtle. It's been so ingrained um, that, again, you you know we don't see the we don't see the forest for the trees here sure and there's there's been great um oh is it Tina Fey who wrote the the uh, bossy girls bossy, um, what boss, it means to be bo- yeah. yeah bossy pants or something yeah that it's that it's um that women are perceived as perceived negatively we'll just say it that way um perceived negatively when they take on the characteristics of men yeah. so yeah. it's sort of this mixed message of we want you to be feminine but not too feminine right right they are they are um, if if they are not viewed uh, they're viewed as sort of if not negative which certainly is the effect as foreign as something that has to be adapted to to fit into some place, people are just now getting their heads around how um, oppressive that can be. Our guest is Cheryl Brubaker, Executive Director of Women's Resource Center. We have Cheryl with us to talk about the broad issues that affect women in the society and and others as well. Uh, the Resource Center is uh, dedicated to really. Um, leveling the playing field. When we come back, we're, we're going to take a, a look at some of the programs that her organization provides, uh, particular attention on the, the issues of trauma and how they affect women, and certainly um, what all of this has to do with their, you know, their mental and emotional and, in fact, physical health. This is Recovery Radio. Don't go away. 
Welcome back to Recovery Radio. Steve Martirano with you. Uh, before we get back to our guest, a reminder that uh, this program is underwritten by, of course, Retreat Behavioral Health. You look them up and you'll find out that their reputation is sterling. We appreciate their uh, support in keeping the program going several, several years now uh, with the mandate from them that, look, this, does, this is not an infomercial for us. They've helped lots and lots of people with behavioral health issues, substance abuse, and mental health as well. Um, and and if they can help you, they will. But they're underwriting this program as an informational and educational tool. I remind you that they are available to answer any questions you have about any of the issues you hear on the program. You will get uh, somebody on the phone who knows what they're talking about. Retreat Behavioral Health, 855-859-8810. That's 855-859-8810. From the Women's Resource Center in suburban Philadelphia, Wayne, Pennsylvania, their executive director, Cheryl Brubaker, has joined us uh, on the day before International Women's Day. She's giving us a chapter and verse on the obstacles that have confronted women for far too long with regard to well, essentially, you know, the workplace and the, and the broader world around, around their lives. And Cheryl, um, you know, you've you made an obvious case uh, about the, these obstacles. But it's, cl- it's clear right now that these obstacles also af- affect in a, in a very significant way women's physical and psychological health, their, their actual uh, health and well-being. I want to get into some of some of that particular attention to uh, the effects of trauma in their lives. But can you tell us uh, about a couple of the programs that WRC has uh, to to handle all of the issues you've been talking about? Certainly. So um, ultimately, WRC services are really driven by the women who call us on our helpline. Um, we have um, well over a thousand women who call us over the course of a year and we pay attention to the needs as they're arising and um, and the programs and services beyond that tend to develop based on um, those needs and so over the years there have been um, there are really two key um, programs that we're um, focused on that are directly coordinated correlated with the helpline which is our first our family law program and that started probably i think in the 80s it started pretty early on in the organization's history but ultimately the goal was okay we have women that are coming out of of a marriage or maybe choosing to leave um an emotionally abusive relationship and they're trying to figure out how do they do this? And they and they have no income because they've been a stay-at-home mom for the past 20 years. And so the group looked at what would it mean to get local attorneys to, to volunteer their time and provide pro bono consultation for women as they're coming out. And what's interesting is in those early days, all the attorneys who were providing that service were actually men. Now, today, of course, we have, I'm sure, at least as many women as we do men among the attorneys, but we're still running that service, and we have close to 40 attorneys that will provide some form of um, pro bono consultation for women as they are facing divorce, which is an incredibly helpful thing when you have a woman who um, who has been in that position of being a stay-at-home mom or who has been underemployed and maybe they make a little bit of money on the side, but they're not in a position to fully support themselves and their children, let alone pay for 
uh, legal bills. So that's the one program that has evolved over the time and is still a very um, crucial service for probably 60 to 70% of the women who call our helpline are looking for some kind of legal help. The majority of them are very low income. And then the other service that we focused on is what we call resource coordination counseling. And it's kind of a blend for, for those who uh, are familiar with the social services. It's kind of a blend of what we would call case management, traditional case management, and um, counseling. And so ultimately what we're looking to do is when a woman comes to us and says, here's the challenge, here's the transition I'm trying to successfully navigate, what we're trying to help her do is leverage both the internal resources within herself as well as the external resources and information that, sh- that may- will help her mm. successfully navigate that transition. Mm, yeah. And so those services are provided on a one, one-on-one basis, either in person at our office in Wayne or by phone. And um, that has been a rapidly growing service. We've unfortunately often have a waiting list for those services, um, but we're, we're um, last year we, we, we conducted over 900 uh, resource coordination counseling sessions. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, l- let's focus now a little bit on, obviously, um, everything you have described with regard to obstacles uh, facing women um, across the board must certainly have had and continues to have some real-world negative effects on their uh, their mental and physical health, their well-being. Can you talk a little bit about, about that? Sure. If you look at... Um if you look at the treatment of women on the continuum of oppression, which would be sort of on the on the one end of the scale being, you know, repressed or you know not being allowed to sort of live out their their authentic self, and on the on the other extreme being um, overt violence, women come to us at a variety of points along that continuum. And so the huge majority of women who have come to us, come to us have experienced at least emotional, psychological abuse, um, workplace harassment, and or um, financial abuse is also another big one. And so there's a level of trauma that that is inherently part of their lives based on what they've grown up with. And so that's one of the things that our counselors have to be prepared to address and work with with women is how do they move from that place of 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 how the trauma in fact and you know affects your brain to being able to look at how do I function from an empowered perspective and and navigate these challenges and look for the opportunities. And so that's been a key point. Our counselors have continued to use more and more tools, uh, including things like mindfulness and meditation, to help women in the process of, of trauma recovery, ultimately, as they're, as they're trying to move forward in terms of the very practical, logistical aspects of their lives. What, if any, uh, counseling or programs do you provide to help women who might be suffering from a substance abuse issue, or if if not if not a real dependency on drugs or alcohol, um, a kind of self medication? Do you do you hear from women who who have those problems? 
certainly. I mean, we have women who are dealing with tremendous stressors and anxiety and so all of the things that, that we do to cope with um, those kind of situations we see in the women who come to us. Um, I want to be clear, the WRC is not a drug and alcohol treatment center, mm-hmm. so um, so we're not in the position of doing that. But one of the things that we do very quickly is make sure we connect people um, with the treatment centers that would be relevant to their situation right. if that's the case. Um, and then also just continue to work with someone, what are healthy coping skills? What are ways that they can cope with these challenges that life is throwing at them um, in terms of, of navigating what's in front of them. You, uh, you must also speak to, to many people, many women who are suffering from domestic violence. Um, it, it, that remains a huge problem? It does. It's interesting because, um, I mean, domestic violence is always one of those things that it's really hard to get a handle on because it happens behind closed doors. Um, we have made a lot of progress, um, some of it belatedly perhaps, um, in recognizing the prevalence of violence. Um, you know, the Violence Against Women Act was passed in 1994. So that's the first time that the federal government really um, allocated resources to an office on violence against women. And there is now, like, police officers and, and, and law enforcement are trained on domestic violence. And so, you know, there's, there are more resources available for women, but we still have a long ways to go mm-hmm. um, because it is still a very private situation that often happens behind closed doors. Sure. And so the stigma around it and connecting people with the right resources. But again, also the piece of not just the aspect, abuse is more than getting physically hit. Um, And I had a police officer once tell me, he said, you know, it's always the quiet ones that I worry about. Yeah. Well, you know, that's interesting because, correct me if I'm wrong, one one of the obstacles that uh, women face, and they certainly didn't create the obstacle, but they're laboring under it, is this uh, tendency to blame oneself. Is that is that a problem? Oh, yes. Women are taught to take responsibility for everything. Um, we are raised to believe that we're responsible to for how everyone is feeling. We're responsible for the nurturing, the caregiving. And so when we walk into the room, if somebody's if somebody's angry, if somebody's stressed, if somebody's upset with us, we assume it's because of something we did or at least that we're responsible for fixing it. And in many cases, that's really not helpful because it's not often something that we even have control over. And we need to allow that responsibility to rest with the person who's responsible for it. And it obviously Um, hinders it obviously hinders a woman's uh, ability uh, to go, you know what, I need to talk to somebody. I'm depressed or I'm anxious or or I'm drinking a little too much. It, It slows down that process, doesn't it? It also slows down the process of, like this ties back to sort of the whole naming of things. When you name something, when you name the sexism that's going on or the the sexist um, uh, perspectives that they've been taught, they can start to go, oh, that's not me. That's not my responsibility. That's something that is someone else's right. in the environment. Yes. And so that's where the value of naming 
um, naming the, the societal components that are happening, as well as naming the responsibilities of, of the other parties. Cheryl Brubaker. I'm sorry. Cheryl Brubaker, Executive Director of Women's Resource Center in Wayne, Pennsylvania. Our guest, we have a final segment with Cheryl on uh, this, the day before International Women's Day. We're talking about women. Stay with us. This is Recovery Radio. Welcome back to Recovery Radio. Steve Martirano with you. Uh, as we've been telling you the entire program that uh, Sunday, tomorrow, is International Women's Day. And to that end, we've been speaking about women with the executive director of the Women's Resource Center in suburban Philadelphia in Wayne, Pennsylvania, Cheryl Brubaker. It's been, it's been a, a real, um, a real uh, lesson here for a lot of people. When they hear the term sexism, they think it, it, it's a, a kind of narrow thing that has to do with crude remarks or, or, uh, or holding a woman back uh, in her career path. And it's, it's all of that, but it's much, much broader. And we had her on the program. We have Cheryl on the program to talk about the impact it has on a wide range of issues, but certainly a woman's mental and uh, emotional and psychological health and well-being. Um, Cheryl, I know you had one other program that you guys are particularly proud of and interested of at the uh, at the WRC. Tell us about that. So um, we one of the other unique programs that we have that is um, specifically um, focused on girls is our Girls Lead program. And this program was actually designed uh, to help to develop key protective factors in adolescent girls that would help them successfully navigate adolescence. And so... Um, our curriculum was actually developed based on a review of various components of research on seven different uh, dangers or challenges that can trip up adolescent girls. So things like uh, teen bullying, teen pregnancy, eating disorders. As we looked at those areas, what we looked for were uh, common protective factors and ultimately came up with four what sound like pretty basic skills that are um, are in common across all seven areas. And those skills are communication, decision-making, problem-solving, and conflict resolution. So we have a curriculum that um, it's, it's very experiential-based. We, we, we partner with local middle schools and primarily, although we do now have a high school curriculum as well, and we have cohorts of girls up to, I think, about 22 in a cohort, and they go through a 12-week curriculum where they get to, to play around with these skills, practice them, try them out on their friends and their siblings and their parents, and then ultimately they pick a need or an issue that they see in their school or their community, and they um, develop a leadership project and carry it out. And so that leadership project really allows them to put those skills into practice. So it's not just about the outcome of the leadership project, but it's also a chance for the facilitator of the program to be able to say, oh, we, we reached a decision. What, mm-hmm. what, how did we do that? Mm-hmm. Um, what are, what are, or, or now we need to resolve this disagreement. How are we going to go about doing that? And so in this team of 20-some uh, girls, they get to really practice those skills in the execution of the project. And that has been such a powerful program, pri- partly also because of who... Um, who we target with the program. So when we go into the schools, we work very carefully with 
um, a school liaison. In many cases, it's the school counselor. And they nominate girls for the program based on the criteria that they are looking for girls with untapped leadership potential. So these aren't the girls who are already signing up for things or, or readily taking on leadership responsibilities, but they may be hanging back, maybe the girls that aren't raising their hands as often in class, mm-hmm. but, but have that potential. Yeah. To, to develop something more. Yeah. And so ultimately, we're equipping them with those squ- skills that I think will serve them well for the rest of their lives. Yeah, it's, it sounds like a terrific program. Just real quickly, what has the effect on social media been with regard to a positive or negative in situations like this? Um, the best way to describe it is it's a complication. <laughs> mm. It can be positive and negative. What are... What, um, the, what the participants in our program are learning in the process, you know, in the avenue of communication is how to use it well. So how do we use social media to our benefit, not to our detriment? And, well, it, yeah, yeah, like any other form of communication in that way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Cheryl Br- uh, Brubaker, uh, Executive Director of Women's uh, Resource Center for over 45 years now. They've been working to uh, help women in all the ways we've been talking about. We said tomorrow's International Women's Day. You guys are a nonprofit, so I know you know, you look for donations and you look for volunteers. And if anybody wants more information, um, what should they do, Cheryl? Well, the best place to go is to our website. It's womensresourcecenter.net. Again, that's womensresourcecenter.net. Um, we do heavily, we are very community-based, um, we have a team between our volunteer attorneys and volunteer helpline um, operators. We we have probably close to 200 volunteers that we need each year to deliver our programs and services, and we are in t- almost 95% of our uh, revenue that supports our programs is generated via contributions from individuals, from groups from foundations mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so that's a, that's that's how we that's how we deliver our services. When before we say goodbye to you, what is your helpline phone number? It's 610-687-6391. Cheryl Brubaker, thanks so much. Uh I couldn't have had a better uh guest to join us on 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 the day before uh International Women's Day. Um I hope we can have you back again to talk about these issues real soon. Thank you for the opportunity to be here, and I appreciate you taking an interest in specifically the, the, the health and needs of women and girls. Well, we want to thank all of you for listening as well on Recovery Radio. It's brought to you by Retreat Behavioral Health. Don't forget, if you have any questions and need any help, you can call them at 855-859-8818, 855-859-8818. Join us next time on Recovery Radio. Bye-bye. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management.